Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes as we will tackle an awful lot on this program. We're going to continue to preview prospects to watch out for in the 2019 NFL Draft. We'll get to your phone calls at 201-939-4513. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag GiantsChat. And a reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. So right off the top, we are going to discuss Mississippi State's prospects and a number of intriguing players coming from the Bulldogs program. And to get into that, right away, we're joined by Mississippi State radio play-by-play announcer Neil Price. Neil, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time. How's everything? It's great. Good to be with you guys today. Well, we're glad you could join us. We've certainly enjoyed all of these guys who have been able to help us out with, with the draft previews. And you know, I, I have to tell you something. Neil, I'm a big Montez Sweat guy, and I think that he would fit very well with uh, Betcher's scheme here at the Giants. Runs a multiple 3-4 with a stand-up guy on the edge who can give a bunch of different looks to a quarterback. I, I think one of the comparisons that I see with Sweat, and I think it's accurate physically, he reminds me a lot of Jason Taylor, the former great pass rusher from the Dolphins and, and the Redskins. But yet, when you look around the league and you talk to people at the Combine, there are some who will say, I don't know if he's a fit at six, value's probably a little high, maybe he should be down in the 10 to 12 range. So if you could explain to me, as well as you know him as a player and as a person, why there would be such a variance of opinion on a guy who appears to have a universe of talent. I think some of it, Paul, may come from that He came out of JUCO, and the numbers that he put up, he put up in two years. And, I mean, they were monster numbers in the two years that he played for state. Uh, But he did it in the SEC. You know, and I I think that lends some gravity to the folks who maybe have him rated higher on their draft boards than others. What I can tell you, and I'm no expert, but he's fast, he's physical, and he's aggressive. And I can't think of three better qualities to have when you're wanting a guy who can put pressure on the quarterback. And he did that last year at a high, high rate throughout his two years really here. I mean, he almost caught the career sacks leader at Mississippi State, and he did it in two years' time. That's pretty impressive playing in a tough league. So I I think he's going to make somebody very happy. And, you know, if somebody gets a value out of him, so be it. But – He is a fantastic football player, and he has a nose for the quarterback and a nose for the ball. Now, one thing I always ask everybody who wants to tout the exploits of a terrific edge rusher is, how's he going to hold up against the run? Because so many of these guys are not interested in playing the run. They just want to get on SportsCenter and get the sack. So tell me, if you can, what you think Sweat's attributes are in terms of his motor His effort against the run, will he help seal the edge? Does he sell out against the pass? Because I'll be honest with you, Neil, I I think this guy could probably even put on a few pounds. They got him listed at at 6'5", 241 coming out of the combine. I wouldn't be surprised if he puts on 10 pounds. And in the NFL, I think you can use him multiple ways. I think there are times he could probably put his hand in the dirt and other times where he can stand up. Yeah, and he did both of those at Mississippi State, you know, at different points in his careers. To be honest with you, you know, year before last in in the 17 season, 
he played more like a linebacker. Mm-hmm. He wasn't even really an end guy because they were playing a 3-4 at that point. And then when Bob Shoup came in and took over the defense, they put him up there you know, and, and went to a 4-3, and he played hand in the dirt some, and he played in a two-point stance some. So he can do both. I think he can contain. And the thing that's impressive about him is that if, if the play goes away from him, I don't know how many times last year – that I saw him go across the field, show lateral quickness, and chase a guy down for a two- or three-yard gain on a play they were hoping might make eight or ten. You know, <laughs> he, He's got the speed. He pursues. He just pursues the ball. That's the best way that I can describe him. Run, pass, whoever's got it, quarterback, running back, this guy pursues the football with reckless abandon. Well, he certainly has the high motor, to your point, Neil, and I think that's been evident based on what we've seen on the box score, also on video. But, you know, he also, to me, one of his assets from a physical standpoint is his length. And I've seen a lot of comparisons to, for example, one of the Vikings' top pass rushers in Daniil Hunter, who, you know, little by little has developed into one of the most consistent pass rushers in the NFL, may not be a household name. I mean, what else has jumped out to you, Neil? I know you talked about his ability to get after the football, but other physical characteristics that maybe other people are not talking about? Well, I think the length is one that you brought up that's that's a great point because he does have active hands. He can extend that frame with long arms, and he can get his hand on the ball and get you a couple of deflections at the line of scrimmage. So that's a great point. But I think the biggest selling point for Montez, other than football IQ and obviously is, is the physical traits. That That's it. I mean, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I mean, this dude, he is lightning fast. He gets out of the gates quick and he's super disruptive. And I know that's going to be different playing against, you know, NFL caliber offensive linemen, but he's done a good job against some highly rated linemen this year playing in the SEC, some of which he may see again, you know, as early as next season in the NFL. So, I hate to keep coming back to it, but it's the physical traits. It's fast, it's physical, it's aggressive. That, that to me, is, is the total package for Montez Sweat. The other thing I would want to ask you, Neil, before we get off of him as a subject, is his ability to maybe do a little bit of coverage out of the backfield for some of these NFL running backs who, as you know, are catching the ball more and more frequently these days. And there may be occasion where they might ask him to trail somebody coming out of the backfield. So uh, your thoughts in terms of how he might project in doing that? Well, I would hope that his speed would help him do that. What I would tell you is that I can't recall many situations in the last two years where he's been asked to do that here. They did drop him in zone a few times, and, and he did some pass coverage there in the flats. But for the most part, He's the guy because of his skill set that they wanted coming off the edge trying to put pressure on the quarterback. So he wasn't asked to cover passes too often. I got you. I got you. Well, that's why I asked, though, because you're right. I didn't see many, many clips at all where he was asked to do it. And I'm like, you're going to have to project that. But he does have a skill set which indicates he could do it. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Well, when a guy has over 20 sacks in the span of two years, you just basically say, go after the quarterback. Yeah, get the ball. <laughs> go get that guy. We're talking with Mississippi State Radio play-by-play announcer Neil Price, and clearly the other premier defensive lineman slash guy that does damage at the line of scrimmage is Jeffrey Simmons, who unfortunately tore his ACL in February while preparing for the draft, Neil, as you well know. And there's a lot of questions about, well, how high – should you perhaps take him anyway because of his upside and what he put forth on his resume? 
what are you hearing? I mean, considering you're around the program, number one, how's he coming along if he is doing any work still at the university? And how high of a risk do you think it is to perhaps take him even though he's overcoming such a serious injury? Well, I can tell you he's at the complex almost every single day rehabbing and working and, and get himself back into game shape coming off of the surgery. So he's driven. Uh, that's first and foremost. And it's not just because he's got a life-changing opportunity in front of him. It's because he loves the game. Uh, and, and I think he loves being around the people at Mississippi State, too, and the people here certainly ha have loved him. Uh, you know, as far as what kind of risk is he, you know, I'm not the guy making the investment. I'm probably not the best guy to ask the question. I'm sure there are going to be concerns, and rightfully so, because you're talking about a lot of money to invest in a guy that – you haven't been able to see just yet what's going to happen in terms of lateral movement, explosiveness off the line, uh, all the things that come with playing on the interior line. You know, So I get the concerns, and I think if you ask Jeffrey, he would tell you that he understands that too. Uh, at the end of the day, it's a business. But uh, I, I would tell you from, from a standpoint of is he going to give you everything he has coming off of this? I have no doubt in my mind that he'll do that. And I think there's just not enough data out there yet to know, you know, what he's going to be able to move like coming off this. But, but as a guy who's covered him for the last two years, I hope that it's, it's well. We know that the medical folks obviously want to ask him a plethora of questions and give him all kinds of tests to see where that rehab is coming. Have you been told at all what the approximate uh, uh, point of return is for him? Do they think there's any chance that he could give a team something this fall, or is it just too much to ask right now? I have no idea with regard to any of that, just being totally honest with you. All right, that's fine. What about the, the off-the-field stuff, which we know is a couple of years old, and by your early comments about him, it does sound like he's very well-liked and has been very much accepted by everybody in the Mississippi State community. But nonetheless, you know NFL teams are also going to be asking about that background stuff because it does exist, and until he answers for it, uh, there are going to be folks who are going to shake their heads about it. Yeah, and again, you know, if you're making an investment in a, in a player, you want somebody who's going to represent your club in the right way. No question about that. All of the off-field stuff that has come up uh, happened roughly four years ago, and that was two years before I came on board with the job. What I can tell you about in the two years that I've been around Jeffrey Simmons is that he's a stand-up guy. He does his best to be professional and articulate in every situation they've put him in with the media, with fans, with his teammates. He's a great leader and he takes great pride in his game and how he conducts himself off the field. Uh, he's the guy who would stay late in the press room till 8.30, o'clock to make sure that anyone needed him got him. Uh, he's the guy that uh, is out there trying to rally guys and get them together. And in terms of the on-field stuff, he's the guy who got double teamed on almost every play from the line of scrimmage and still found ways to be disruptive and, and found ways to, to find over 15 TFLs last year fighting through those double teams. So uh, I, I personally don't have any concern about what kind of person or what kind of player Jeffrey Simmons is. I, I mean, my, my experience with him have been A-plus all the way around. 
Well, and that's why it's going to be interesting, I think, more so the recovery from the injury than maybe the character concerns, as you pointed to, Neil. Sidney Jones, who's now with the Philadelphia Eagles, somebody that also suffered sure. a significant injury when he was working out for the draft, and then he went high in the second round. So it's very feasible that a team is going to get some great value when Jeffrey Simmons is still on the board. Staying on the defensive side of the ball, Neil, another player that certainly comes to mind is at the safety position, Jonathan Abram. And the Giants did change things around at their safety position. Perhaps they want to invest in a young guy. When you look at Abram's numbers, very active. But it seems as if the scouting report says he's more of a guy that thrives when he's playing closer to the line of scrimmage as a box player as opposed to somebody as that center fielder deep in coverage. From what you've seen what jumps out to you about the strengths for Jonathan Abram? I would agree with that. Uh, I think Jonathan Abram, of the two safeties that State had last year, and both of them were, were experienced guys, Jonathan at one safety and Mark McLaurin at the other, I think Mark was more the guy that was that center fielder you're talking about, and Jonathan Abram was the guy who played downhill almost all the time. And, again, he's a terrific football player. He, he, he knows how to get to the ball. He knows the fastest way there, and he's sure-handed when it comes to tackling. So all those things, I think, make him great if you're looking for a guy who who can really help in terms of run support from the back end. And another guy that if you talk to him, you know, in terms of, of how he's going to conduct himself, A-plus, I mean, sharp. He's great to just sit and talk football with. He's got a really high IQ when it comes to the game, and he's had, a, I think, a really unique set of experiences in terms of maybe being a bit of a journeyman first two years before he finally landed at Mississippi State that has helped him grow, and he's played for a lot of different guys. I mean, he's had a different defensive coordinator every year of his college career, whether it was at Georgia to start or it was at Jones County Junior College or at Mississippi State in two years. He had a different D.C. So I don't think there's a term you can throw at him or a scheme you can ask him to be a part of that he can't assimilate to. There's another guy in that secondary that intrigues me. Jamal Peters uh, maybe a tad slow to be a real good corner in the league, but he's certainly at 6'2", has some, some skills and tools that are going to be intriguing to folks. I wonder, uh, I know he's had some injuries, and that hurt his production a little bit. Do, do you think that he's got enough to make that jump? Or maybe even possibly, I don't know about his physicality, I did not do tape work on him, is he possibly a candidate who could convert to safety? Maybe. Uh, I think you're dead on when you say if you're looking for a criticism, it's going to be speed. Uh, he got picked on a lot early in the year, not so much late in the season, but you know only... Uh, you know, he, he, he was better one-on-one -on -one late. His length helped him break up some passes. Uh, he's a tough guy to, to get the ball over top of. Uh, I don't know if, if he's what they're looking for at safety or not. Could be. I'm sure he's willing to adapt to, to get that opportunity. But, uh, yeah, he's another guy who's kind of out there uh, that, you know, he'd love to have an opportunity. People here would love to see him get that opportunity. And hopefully, you know, with with – it's all things that can be overcome for him through development. If, if guys have got time to be patient and work with him, that, that he could maybe wind up as a guy on a practice roster somewhere, or, or maybe he could wind up being a really late round pick and, and maybe work his way up through, through some development. Well, if he shows that he's got the smarts to handle the scheme and then shows the ability to wrap up and tackle people, then it's not unthinkable to think that he could play some safety and be a part of somebody's sub-package. 
Yeah, and he, and he does have that now. He he's got high football IQ, and he's sure-handed. Uh, you know, it's just that when he's playing out on the corner, we don't get a chance to see him out there much. And he's not a guy that they used a lot in corner blitz because, you know, like we're talking about, not the fastest of the corners on that right. team. They used Cameron Dantzler on the other corner to do that a lot more last year. But, it, again, you, you never know until he, he gets an opportunity. And, again, there are guys in, in NFL you know front offices that are much more qualified than I am to tell you <laughs> about whether or not they think he can make that move. We're talking about Mississippi State radio play-by-play announcer Neil Price. And earlier, Neil, we were talking about Montez Sweat and another guy who lined up on the edge as a linebacker after I believe he made the move from defensive end was Gary Green. And it seemed as if he became more comfortable over the last two seasons from what I've seen, from what I've read, when they've asked him to be that linebacker edge guy as opposed to perhaps play down on the line of scrimmage. How much was that a transition for him, and how much upside do you see out of him at the next level? I see a lot of upside out of Gary Green. Uh, I like Gary Green as a player, and I like him as a person. Uh, This is a guy who, if he doesn't make it in football, he could be uh, he could be chairman of any corporation. He could be a politician. He, he could do anything he wanted. I mean, just really, really sharp kid. And I think part of the reason, you know, people maybe are a little skeptical of, of Gary Green is that they forget sometimes that his numbers are solid, but he was playing on a defensive line that had Jeffrey Simmons and Montez Sweat, <laughs> and those guys ate up a lot of the numbers. Yeah. So, you know, but Gary was always right there. He's in the right place at the right time. Uh, and he played more in this year than linebacker. He was a linebacker last year. He's athletic. He's got speed. Uh, I watched him return a pass, an intercepted pass, uh, you know, almost 80 yards in 2017. And, I mean, he pulled away from the field like, like secretariat, you know. So <laughs> he's got the skill set. He's got the hands. And uh, if you can say that about a big man in the open field, I think that's a pretty good compliment. So uh, Gary would make a great addition for any team that, that's looking. And I think he could do – he could play He could play up on the line or if he needed to or, you know, if he needed to play as a linebacker, I think he could give him that skill set too. What about the, the last guy I'd want to ask you about is Elton Jenkins, the center, who to me has, has quite a frame on him. I mean – you know, a lot of times the people will talk about interior offensive linemen in the in the six two six three range. This guy's six foot four, but he plays with such power and he can anchor. I mean, that that to me was the one thing that I did see when I looked at his cutups is that he anchors very well in the middle of the line. I think that he is the hidden gem for somebody out of all of the Mississippi State prospects. I, I really do, and. He got a lot of play on draft boards toward the end of the regular season last year, and I haven't heard it as much, you know, because there's been a lot of attention, obviously, on Sweat and Simmons and Jonathan Abram coming from the defensive side. But like you say, Elkton Jenkins is a big anchor. He's a big frame guy, big built, physical. Uh, and the thing that, that I like about him, if you're talking about a guy who's playing the center position, is that he doesn't turn the ball over. He's consistent with snaps. Uh, State played almost every – matter of fact, I think every snap last year, with the exception of one game, they played out of the shotgun, and he was on target and accurate. And I think that's what you're looking for from a guy who's got to get the ball, get a play started for you. So uh, Elkton would be a great get 
for somebody. No question about that. And, again, I, I think he's the diamond in the rough here when you're talking about the guys that State's going to send to the draft or the guys that are eligible to be drafted. Neil, last one for me as a follow-up on Jenkins. I know you said you've only been covering the team for the last two years, but he's also had some starts at right tackle, left tackle, left guard. Seems to be a very versatile player. How much do you think that versatility can be utilized perhaps at the next level, even though he's primarily been the center at least in the last two years or so? Well, I saw him at right tackle when I first got here, and that's where he was uh, early in the season in 2017, and he's plenty good there. I mean, you know, when you're talking about that kind of size, you can stick that guy you know, <laughs> at a guard, you can stick him out on the end, and if you want to run behind him, you can run behind him. You know, uh, he, he, he is a very smart guy, and his versatility playing all those spots, he understands the technique, he understands everything that he would need to make the adjustment. And again, I, I like to tell people, never underestimate what a guy can do when given a great opportunity, because if they want to stick, they want to live out the dream, uh, they can overcome those obstacles. Things that you can be taught, things that you can be polished on, those are all things you can work with, and, and Elkton's a great guy in terms of, of being able to go out there and, and be a coachable player, receptive to teaching, and then you know executing when the time comes. Neil, I want to sneak one more follow-up in on him because the, the, the video that I saw, he was only playing center. So was he moved to center because they weren't necessarily satisfied with his play at right tackle and they thought this was a better spot for him? Or was it because they had a desperate need at center and were like, okay, look, this guy can handle the job. Let's move him inside. We can have someone else play right tackle. No, I, I think it was it was they could they could move him there and he could help them at center and they could replace him at right tackle. I, the, the previous staff, uh, you know, always seemingly moved an interior lineman to center. They never had what you would call a dedicated recruit that came in and played three years or two years at that position. More often than not, they move people around on the offensive line based on who they thought could be a good fit at that spot. Happened to be Elkton Jenkins last year. Okay. And it, it has nothing to do with unhappiness with him at any other spot that he's played. They plugged him in all those places because I believe they thought he was the best fit at that time at that particular spot. So uh, I think that he's, he played center last year because they felt like he was the most reliable guy but no one on the previous staff that I'm aware of and no one on the current staff certainly was unhappy with what they saw from him at either of those spots. Lance, mark down next to his name, uh, third-day sleeper pick. Well, I mean, Neil said he's one of the most under-the-radar guys out of Mississippi State, so I think that statement go. holds a lot of weight as he is Neil Price, Mississippi State's radio play-by-play announcer. Neil, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks so much for joining us on the program today. Thank you, Neil. No problem. Thanks, guys. You got it. That is Neil Price once again with the breakdown of Mississippi State's prospects. And Elton Jenkins is certainly a guy to watch out for in addition to the Montez Sweats, the Jeffrey Simmons of the world, who clearly all the focus goes in the direction of. And, you know, spoke very highly of Montez Sweat. And I think the biggest selling point that he brought to the forefront, and, you know, you could say, oh, well, it's the easiest factor to turn to, but he's right. Spent two years in the SEC, Paul. Listen, I don't care whether you love him or you think he has a tremendous amount of upside. To get double-digit sacks in both of his two seasons in the SEC against that caliber of talent, I'd say that's worth something. I'm going to make it very simple for you. 
Many years ago when I started doing this, I had a scout tell me when it was early in my career, he said, when you go to one of the Power Five conferences and you see a guy put up eye-popping numbers that are of significance, you better make sure you look at that film because there's something there. And if you don't see it the first time, look again because there's going to be something there that's going to be worth investing in. Now, you got to determine how high, but you don't do that by accident. You know, that, that's the point. Yeah, it's the not sacks just, don't just fall into your lap. They just don't. They just don't. There, there was something about this guy that was worth investing in, whatever, whatever it may be. Now, contrary to that, and there are some players in this draft, and I'm not going to name names right now, but you can look them up, who are being talked about, high first round, and their production at Power 5 schools is rather lackluster. And as the scout said to me, that should be a yellow flag. In fact, to some people, it's a red flag. Because if the guy's got this great skill set, and he played at a Power 5 school, and then when the lights were on, on Saturday, when they had that packed house, and he wasn't making those big plays that his skill set says he should, that means something's not right. And you better look at that tape again to figure out how far he should drop. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. We're going to open up the phone lines for the remainder of the program. And we thank Neil Price for joining us again earlier on to break down the Mississippi State prospects. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. As Mississippi State is clearly a team that is going to field a number of defensive players. Jonathan Abram is another one at the safety position. He said he's more of a box guy than necessarily a center fielder. And the Giants were aggressive in revamping the safety position, bringing in Antoine Bethea and acquiring Jabril Peppers. But you could still argue, Paul, there's room to add another young safety to this roster if they want to continue to develop somebody. So I wouldn't remove that position from perhaps something of interest from the Giants' perspective when it comes to the draft. I would say most positions are on the table. You know, maybe tight end is not necessarily the biggest priority given what they have working on the roster, but I would not rule out safety. Corner certainly is one that you would think they're going to look to bring in some youth given some of the players that have left the organization over the last few seasons. Well, we know that the draft is very, very stacked in defensive players. And so when the Giants talk about best player available, and then they also talk about need, and both of those arrows point to defense, it's a pretty safe bet. They're going to stack this draft with defensive draft picks. And that's what I keep telling people all the time. You know, it's one thing to say, well, the team needs this, the team needs that. That's your first instinct. You always want to say, well, what does the team need? I get it. This organization thinks the other way. They think value, best player available, then the need kind of quotient comes in secondary. All right? That, that gets thrown into the meatloaf, but it's not the primary focus. Well, this year, you can talk a lot about need because need also happens to match up with value. To me, it just makes things so much easier when you happen to know that the stuff you're going shopping for is already on the supermarket shelf, just waiting to be plucked. That's a good thing. The produce is fresh. Yes. Oh, I like that. There you go. I like that. Um Learning from the best when it comes to the food. All analogy. right. Yeah. Nice. It's not a pasta analogy, uh, but I think uh, it'll uh, work, so. The tomatoes are right. Well, see, I knew you were going to go <laughs> in that direction. 
wasn't pasta, but it was at least in that <laughs> neck of the woods. 201-939-4513. All right, let's open up the phone lines. We've got Jason in Virginia. He gets things going for us here on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Jason? Oh, not much. How are you guys? Hello. Doing very well. What's on your mind? All right. Um, so, of the big three, or the consensus big three, seem to be Allen, Williams, and Bosa. If one of those three guys starts falling, at any point do you think the Giants would consider trading up to grab one of them? And if so, how far do you think they'd have to fall to think about, to really consider, hey, let's do this? Well, I think Bosa is going to be off the board two or three. I'd be stunned if he falls lower than that. So I just don't think Bosa is a realistic option to start to say four, five, he's in the range. Do we make a move? I think that's a pipe dream. Is it possible that Allen moves into that four range? Quinn and Williams, the four, five range? Yes. Paul, I do think that's feasible. But I think also the Giants need to ask themselves, based on your question, do we like multiple defensive linemen? Do we like multiple pass rushers? Is there that big of a disparity where it's unnecessary, Paul, from a value standpoint to waste a pick simply to move up one spot to get one of these guys? I agree with Lance. I, I don't think you move up just one spot by giving up another valuable pick when you need so many guys on defense in a defensive-oriented draft. I mean, I don't think there's much doubt in their minds, and, you know, Dave Gettleman will have his uh, pre-draft press conference with the media next week. So we will hear from Mr. Gettleman and hear some of what he's got to say. I believe it's on Thursday. But the bottom line is... They probably believe they can get an impact pass rusher at six without having to make a move. And and if they do, and I think they do, you don't make a deal. I'm with you. So I, I think that has to be the logic. And, you know, I'll add another layer to what Paul said. Not only do they have the sixth overall pick, where I think they're going to get great value to begin with, they also already have another first-round pick. So you're going to have multiple assets in the first round to take full advantage. I just don't think the itch to move up one spot is practical under those circumstances. So can I just have one follow-up with, sure. with that? Then um, Allen and Williams, do you really think um, is it that big? Are, are they sort of – you know, 1B, 1C, and then when you get to that next tier, there's really not that big of a difference between that tier and those two? Because it sounds like, you know, Bosa seems to be your, both your guys' consensus. Hey, he's the best pass rusher in this draft. So, out of then Allen and Williams, is there a big disparagement between them and the next tier? Well, keep in mind, and we'll let you go on that note and appreciate the phone call, Thanks. Jason. Thanks so much for weighing in. You got it. To me, they're two different players, Paul, would be my response to that when you want to say 1B and 1C. Williams is a defensive tackle who I think is versatile enough that if you wanted to line him up on the edge, I think he could be effective. But if you were to ask me, Paul, Quinn and Williams, Ed Oliver out of Houston, I could live with both. Well, so that's if the I point. don't get Williams, well, that's, that's what I'm responding to the caller. So I don't think there's a huge disparity. Oliver is not that far behind Correct. Him. So meaning if you miss out on Williams and you're there at six and you love Oliver, I'd be like, hey, it's great value. Well, and I do think that if you're talking about the pass rushing linebacker, okay, you could talk about Sweat in a very, very favorable uh, conversation. Yep. You could also say the same thing about, look, I'm, I may not be as big on Brian Burns as some people are. But there are those who think he might wind up being the best pure outside pass-rushing linebacker in this draft. Because of his athleticism. So between Sweat and Burns, if you don't get Allen, you probably get one of those two guys if you want. Well, but here's another thing to factor in. 
it's possible you could get maybe Ed Oliver at six, and I don't think it's crazy to think Burns may still be available at 17. You think it's automatically guaranteed that Burns is going to be off the I board? I think there's a good chance he's gone. And, and look, and, and again, I'm, I'm a huge Clellan Ferrell fan. Okay, well, that's I've made, another guy. Who I've made, made that. Conversation I've made that very clear. But to me, to me, he is a defensive end. Okay, you're not standing him up very often, if at all. I I think he he needs to be a defensive. I I think he's a perfect fourth. I don't think he fits the Giants' scheme as well as those other guys. That's probably why I don't think they will take him. I would take Farrell in a heartbeat. I absolutely love this guy at six. I just don't think he fits Betcher's scheme as well as some of these other fellas, which is why I think the Giants will go in a different direction. But you could certainly, if you're a 4-3 team, jump at the board for for Cleland Farrell, without a doubt. Hey, reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. All right, let's head back to the phone lines at 201-939-4513. Pat is in Rochester. Pat, welcome aboard. What do you have for us? Uh, yes, uh, I've, I've been watching your program for quite a while now, and I really enjoy you guys very much. Thank well, you. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about this team, and I, we, I, we all as fans, we say this is our team. And I've been watching this team since the quarterback wore number 42. And all I know, I, ironically, it happens to be from Mississippi, too. But in any case, uh, I was looking at the defensive side of the ball. I think in the dra- upcoming draft, that's what we should focus on. Eli Manning cannot complete passes when he's sitting on his butt. Okay, offensive mm-hmm. linemen, they, I, I see them being uh, picked up in free agency. Well, free agency's uh, already slowed down. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I've seen them pick up uh, well in the trade with Beckham. With uh, Kevin Zeidler. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah fair. absolutely. These are great, great assets for, for, for the offensive line. And I see that happening, too. If, if possible, get uh, a right tackle. Okay, to shore up that side. Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, when I watched the Giants play the Bills, okay, in the Super Bowl that one year, all I know is that Bills' defense was sucking wind because they couldn't get off the field. And I find that's what's been happening to the Giants. They can't get off the field. So consequently, when the other team has the ball, they have these long drives. Okay, or their defense gets off the field quick. All right, and their offense holds the ball so long. That's what we were able to do in the past. So I'm looking at this. If anything that we need, okay, it's defense, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way. And I'm very confident in the brain trust. You know, well, yeah, as picking uh, well. the necessary people. To go ahead and shore up that defense. I agree with you a thousand percent. I will just say this though, and and I've I've allowed myself to put a little asterisk next to this conversation every time we have it, and that is, if the Giants believe that the next and I'm going to bring up this name because he just passed away, Forrest Gregg, the Hall of Fame right tackle from the Green Bay Packers. God bless him and our condolences to his friends and family. Uh, Forrest Gregg, mm-hmm. one of the great NFL legends of all time. If, if the Giants believe that there is an absolute 
lock, stud, perennial Pro Bowl right tackle at six, and they decide that they want to make that move there and then use you know, their, their next pick at 17 on a pass rusher and maybe 37 on a pass rusher or a corner. I could live with that too because if they have conviction that, let's just say, they believe that, uh, that, that, that Jonah Williams is the guy. Let's say they believe that and they pick him there. You can't kill him for that because they could use a stud right tackle. They absolutely could. So uh, what I've been telling people is this. They have two first-round picks, a second-round pick, and a third-round pick. In my opinion, although all those picks, you got to get three defensive studs and one stud right tackle out of those four picks. I don't care where they take them, as long as they come out with that kind of result by the end of the the, the day. That's all I care about. Well, and Pat, right. I, I think you bring up very fair points about the defense needing to showcase some balance. There's no doubt about it. I mean, statistically, last season not even just from a statistic standpoint, from an eye test standpoint. There were a number of games where the defense was on the field last and the Giants were in an offensive battle and wound up losing the game because their defense couldn't get off the field. The defense was tied for 30th in sacks, 24th overall, 23rd against the pass, 20th against the run. I've got the numbers in front of me. And the one that's the biggest inkling is 25th on third down efficiency, which is your point, not being able to get off the field. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, that is by far a major need across the board. The one thing, though, I will add is you just still can't go into a draft, regardless of that being a need, saying we've got to get defensive players in the first four rounds, to Paul's point. Because if you think that an offensive player falls to you who has tremendous upside and value, I think there's a very fair argument to say you take the offensive player well, because of a value standpoint. I just gave you that scenario yeah. with but the I'm right not, tackle. But I'm not even talking about right tackle, Paul. I'm bringing up it may be a position, let's say a wide receiver. And there are a lot of fans that are probably going to look on paper and say, you got Sterling Shepard, you have Golden Tate, you've got some depth coming back. It may not be priority number one. For all we know, they value a wide receiver, and at 17th overall, they like the upside on the guy. They take a wide receiver. I'm sure the initial reaction is going to be, well, wait a minute. They need help from a pass rushing standpoint. Why are they taking a wide receiver? I would you guys agree with me in this this evaluation? Wouldn't you say, could you say, the best defense a team could have is a sustained, a sustained offense. Well, it's the method that the Cowboys used some years ago when they had DeMarco Murray, who was able to run the ball, allow them to control the clock, and keep their miserable defense off the field. I mean, yeah, well, there's no question that is a part of it, which is why you need a stud right tackle to help you road grade for yes, Saquon Barkley. Yes. So if they, if they thought Cody Ford was – really, the best guy on the board at number six, I'd have no problem with that because you, you, need, you yeah. need the stud right tackle at some point in the first three rounds. You've got to get a stud right tackle who will help you ground and pound. That's, that's just, it's simple. And Pat, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. Need and value, when it comes together, it makes perfect sense. And there is coming together. And that's fine. There's opportunities here. But all I'm saying is the worst thing you could do, even from a fan perspective, is saying they need this. So when 17th, that pick comes around, they've got to go there. And what happens if now all of a sudden on your board, there's a drop off at that position, Paul? And well, now then you can't do it. need doesn't match value. Then that's what I'm it. getting at. The, 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 I think what I'm saying to you is, though, we're, 
at least the people I've talked to, and I'm talking about outside the building. I'm, I'm never going to tell you what, what, what's, what's being said here. That's not what we're here for. The football people I talk to believe there could be as many as three rounds of plug-and-play right tackles. So, therefore, any of the picks that they have in the first three rounds could justifiably be used on a right tackle because there is enough value there. That's what I'm saying. Just like we're talking about all these pass rushers and these these defensive players, there is enough value to get you through three rounds of of quality defensive guys who have a chance to start immediately. So you know what? That's where you focus your attention on because you know that the the, the shelf, well, the, the, the tomatoes are ripe. I mean, so... Well, and there's depth on the shelf, right, to your right. point. So now you have to allow your need to filter into the conversation because you know the value is there. You're not reaching for value. It's going to be there. At least we believe that it will. Well, like, for example, a guy like Dalton Reisner. If he's there high in the second round, if he lasts... There's value there. There's great value, 100%. Now, I will say this, and John and I talked about this yesterday. I'm more animate than John is. I'm not touching a wide receiver till at least the third day, and I might not even draft one, period. I just brought that up as an example. I'm not saying that I would go after a wide receiver at 17. All I'm saying is, is that fans sometimes get caught up in position need, position need, and then the pick comes in... It's a completely different position. They look at the roster like, oh, well, you know, you got veterans. And the rationale being, in their mind, the team may feel it's just great value. They can't pass up on that player. That's where I'm coming from Mm -hmm. as, you know, something to at least keep in mind, anticipate. Even though there is a lot of depth in the defensive line and pass rusher, doesn't mean that they value the team the same way that the court of public opinion does. That's where I'm getting at. Absolutely. Let's head back to the phone lines. James is in Virginia. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, James? Uh, not much, uh, Lance and Paul. Hi. Um, just want to talk about Eli real quick. Don't get rid of him. We need him as long as we can keep him. Um, and like you said, uh, touching on the, the line, the offensive line, you know, maybe get one lineman and then some defensive uh, linemen and two defensive backs. But other than that, I wish – I'm hoping this year we can go 8-0 starting off. <laughs> I know that's reaching a little bit, but you never know. Oh, come on. Every player and every coach should always dream about 16-0 and and then take it from there <laughs> once you get into the playoffs, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. There you go. But, uh, I'm, I'm hoping everything turns out well. You know, I'm, GM is doing what he's supposed to do. Everybody else is, but... I'm I'm saying go Giants. I'm hoping for eight no, but do what they have to do in the draft to get better. And I appreciate all what y'all do. Hi James, so, thank appreciate you. The phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. Remember, even if you go eight and zero, there's still eight more games left. So <laughs> yes, the goal is you want to do much better too. than eight and zero, James, because eight and zero only guarantees your 500 football. And eight and eight may not make you a That's playoff team. Exactly why I pointed that out. <laughs> Let's head back to the phone lines. Oh. We've got Joseph in New York as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Joseph? Hey guys, how you doing? For Hello, the caller. Uh, Great. I absolutely love the show. Well, like thanks for Giants tuning in. Fans. Appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I I want to refer to a caller you had yesterday that made an analogy or wanted a comparison with OBJ and Darnold versus Manning and Barkley. Uh, that the, the problem with that call was they left two key players that the Giants acquired in that deal out of that analogy. 
And the Giants lack uh, a, a, you know, offense line and safety, and those are the two key players in that deal that I think make a difference. If you look at all the giant, big-time giant years, they had mass quality of players. They didn't have one or two good guys. Right. That's fair. It's all about building a team with strong and and, and strength in a lot of positions. Yeah, strength in numbers. One or two. Yeah. No, I think that's a very good point, Joseph. You look at the Super Bowl winning teams in 07, 11, even going back to the 90s, it wasn't a one-man show. It wasn't a one-wide receiver show. It was depth, and it was multiple pass rushers that Spags was able to rotate. It was an offensive line that was extremely durable and played well together and built continuity. It was running backs that you had multiple guys that were versatile, wide receivers, tight ends, across the board, you could point to various players that put their stamps on the season and the postseason run, and not one guy in particular. You know, one point that that you could certainly throw, and it sounds like, uh, my friend, you're you're a little bit of an old school guy like I am. One thing you could always yeah. throw at some of these young people: Dan Fouts and Dan Marino were probably two of the most prolific arms that this NFL has ever seen. I mean, when they were flinging it uh, at at their peaks of their careers. They were putting up historic numbers. I mean, we knew about Air Coriel, and obviously we know what Marino did. Okay? Between those guys, they have zero Super Bowl rings, and they've got one Super Bowl appearance for Marino early in his career. Okay? And you know why? Because most of those years, the Chargers did not have a very good defense. And in most of those years, the Dolphins did not have a very good defense. In fact, there were times where neither one of those quarterbacks had a great power running game to lean on either. So you could take a robot with the best arm in the world and say, he's my quarterback. But you know what? If you don't have a defense and you don't have a, a powerful offensive line, he's not going to the Super Bowl. It's just that simple. Case in point. That's perfect. I, I agree 100%. If you think about the points you guys are making right now, four top quality plug-and-play players with the two that they just picked up, they're doing a six-for-one swap. Never mind, um, uh, who was the other free Well, you're talking about the assets that they got in the old Del Beckham trade that are going to be added to the roster that can be plugged in. I mean, that's essentially what you're laying right. out, and I think well, that's fair, that's too. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, that, that, that to me is how I'm interpreting your point, Joseph, and you're right. That was the whole part of the philosophy, and we'll let you go on that note. Appreciate the phone call. The fact that, yes, the Giants parted ways with a tremendous talent in Odell Beckham, but based on what the caller said, based on what we're echoing is, you can have Odell Beckham on your roster, Paul, and that's fine. Or you could say you part ways with Odell Beckham, you bring in two defensive players through the draft, you add the safety, you add the offensive lineman, and now you have four guys that are contributing across the board. Well, don't forget, Olivier Vernon was also part well, of that. Well, but I, I'm when looking they at that, it together. they put them together, but that's why, you're right, Vernon helped get Zeitler. You can't just look at it as all the No backup. question. Completely understand. I mean, the Browns weren't going to do that deal no. first without getting 100%. Vernon. So, I mean, even if we extended the analogy, you say you're parting ways with Vernon and Beckham, and by doing that, you're getting Jabril Peppers, you're getting Zeitler, you're getting multiple picks. Well, that's, I think that's why. that's a fair way to look at it. And Dave Gettleman knows this, by the way. He needs to hit. Okay. So it's all about what you do with the assets. He needs to hit. Yeah. 
the and the assets are great. And I get people who, who wise off to me on Twitter when I tell them, okay, these are the assets the Giants have. They've done a good job of accumulating assets as they try to renovate their roster. And then the wise guys say to me, okay, yeah, well, you know, it doesn't mean anything. Well, obviously, until they make the picks and those guys get here and you see what they do, you're right. It does not mean anything, but it's better to have all of these bodies and all of these picks than it is not to have them. Well, of course, because the goal would be you're helping out variety as opposed to just one individual. I mean, would you rather have eight picks in this upcoming draft or 12? Well, and here's the other thing that I think is related to that. And yes, volume to me is important. But for anybody that counters with, well, you know, doesn't mean anything let's see what the assets become that's fine and there's truth behind that but at the same time the reason why the Giants made some of these moves is even with Vernon and Odell Beckham here it wasn't as if they were making the playoffs consistently and raising Lombardi trophies so Uh when you look at it through the lens of yeah we're they're entering the land of the unknown the team by bringing in assets and you know what's going to become of them at the same time let's not make it sound as if the guys that they parted ways with were consistently, and this is not a shot against either of those players who were very productive. And Vernon was an extremely productive player even before he came. That's not the point I'm making. It's that they needed to make improvements for a reason. Because you can't just continue to feel Mm -hmm. the same thing over and over again and expect various different results. So that's the point. And then I get some of the tweets that come in and say, oh, what good is it, you know, have all those picks on the third day? Okay, well, guess what? Ahmad Bradshaw was a seventh-round pick. You think Ahmad Bradshaw helped the Giants win a couple of Super Bowls? He was a big part of the 11 team. Maybe a little bit less than seven, but a big part of the 11th team. You you can absolutely get a seventh rounder who can help you win games and win championships. And oh yeah, by the way, how about the seventh rounder they traded to get Riley Dixon, the punter, who's pretty darn good? You can, and I don't disagree with you saying... Those are assets. Assets are good. I would argue the percentages are a little bit lower, of Of course. Of course they're lower. When you get to the seventh round. I'm not arguing that they're lower. But I think... Better to have them, though, than not. But there's a stronger selling point to say, Paul, the two first-rounders, the second-rounder, and the third-rounder, having those four picks, okay? Absolutely. In addition to Jabril Peppers, is enough value to say you've got some structure, some infrastructure... To build upon. Now, the reason why I brought up Jabril Peppers, and this is another facet of the debate, and I'm sure you've gotten responses on Twitter to this point, Peppers is value not because he was a former first-round pick, okay? I I know people are tired of hearing that. He's value once again because you control his rights for another two years on a rookie contract plus the fifth-year option. That Mm -hmm. is value. In a salary cap era, Paul, that is value. I cannot emphasize that enough. I'm tired of also getting responses. Stop telling me Jabril Peppers is a first-round pick. That's not the point. It's the value of his contract and the upside of the player. Now, people would counter that, Paul, by saying, well, you don't know what Peppers is going to do. It's a new scheme. And you're right. It's just as much of an unknown as what they're going to do with the first-round picks. But there's still value connected to that. That's not a stretch. I would also add one other thing which has been very much overlooked by every article that I have seen printed about the Giants-Browns combo trade. As part of the second part of the deal, when the Giants did complete the Beckham version after the Olivier Vernon version was done with the Browns, the Giants were able to reverse the fourth and fifth round swap with the Browns. Nobody talks about this, but the Giants actually wound up moving back up 
23 spots in part two of the trade that involved Beckham after they had moved down 23 spots in the Vernon Zeitler trade. So the Beckham deal not only provided them with pick number 17 and Jabril Peppers, the former number one, and the number three pick from the Browns, which the Giants did not own the number three because of the Beal selection the year before, they also wound up moving back up 23 spots into the fourth round. That is so much forgotten. But I'll tell you what, come Saturday morning, the third day of the draft, when the Giants are picking on the board at 133, instead of at 156, you'll be happy that they're picking 23 spots earlier than they would have otherwise. Trust me, that's a lot of players to come off the board. 23 additional players to consider under those circumstances. Let's head back to the phone lines, 201-939-4513. Carl is in Charlotte. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Carl? Not much, guys. How you doing? Doing very well. What's on your mind? Uh, I just wanted to get something off my chest. we got all of these um, guys with their media outlets, whatever their media platform is, even ex-players. It's just like the fashion to just bash everything Gettleman and his crew have been doing, everything. They talk about um, letting Davis Webb go, um, letting go of Collins, letting go of Beckham. First of all, Gettleman didn't sign any of those guys, and they conveniently forget that all the time. Yeah, and none of those guys were his picks. That's fair. Yeah, and second of all, they keep saying that, the, that Gettleman doesn't know what he's doing. He didn't get a quarterback last year, and if he doesn't get one now, the Giants are doomed for 10 years. That's everybody's platform. My thing is, if you remember Ryan Leaf, he was neck and neck with Peyton Manning. My belief is that if Ryan Leaf had gone to another organization, maybe with a Bill Belichick or a Tom Coughlin, he might have been just as good or at least a serviceable quarterback. What do you guys think about that? Well, I do think the environment helped shape the quarterback. There's no Mm -hmm. doubt about that. I think with Ryan Leaf, the attitude was an issue, and that certainly came back to bite him. So, you know, if he's with another coach, is he as accepting of the coaching? Is he open to that? You know, the other thing, by the way, that people forget, Ryan Leaf had an unbelievable preseason. Not that that means anything, but people forget that. He took the league by storm, had a Mm -hmm. great preseason, had a decent first start, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden he had that bad weather game. I think it was against Kansas City. And it all fell apart. Could not complete a pass if his life depended on him because Kevin Gilbride was with him, former Giants offensive coordinator, and then just things went AWOL. And I think part of it was him not being exposed to that adversity in college when he was at the top of the world. It's Carl, right? We have him online? Yes, we have Carl. Carl, let me, let me just yes. throw something out at you. And you guys know I'm not a huge analytics fan. I think they're the oregano on the pizza. They're not really the pizza. There's another food analogy. But, but, but I'm going to mention something to you. I just saw the other day Football Outsiders, which is one of the analytics websites that does historical studies on stats. And what they determined uh, was that of first-round quarterbacks who have been taken in the last dozen years or so by their analytics – Only 28% of those could be qualified as good. In other words, the bust rate on first-round quarterbacks is approximately three-fourths, or 75%. So if you don't absolutely have 150% conviction about a quarterback, you can't take him in the first round, because how would you like to take a QB in the first round, especially in the top 10, and say, you know what, 
We thought he was really good, but we weren't pound the table sure he was going to be good. And then he turns out to be a bust, which the odds say he will be. How are you going to feel then? Then well, it's your own fault. Then look in the, the mirror. That these guys are, you know? These guys are saying, yeah, hello, Paul. Yeah. yeah. Hello. Yeah, where are you, yeah. Carl? What do you got? Uh, yeah, these, these guys are saying that the Giants screwed up last year. They're screwing it. They, they, the pick isn't even in. And they're saying they're saying the Giants. Right, of course. Well, Carl, that's why, Carl, you, you can't evaluate draft picks after one year. You know, anybody who jumps exactly, the gun yeah. is basically just going based Look, on opinion. Here, you have here, to see how things play out. Here's what you need to know. It's very lazy, convenient, and easy to take shots at an organization that has had a lot of losing seasons recently and is still in the middle of reconstructing its team. It's the easiest thing to do. It's the lazy way out. And, and unfortunately, well, that's the environment we're living in right now. Well, nobody's coming to the point that, that, that I've come to that Gittleman had a pretty darn good draft. Of course he did. And I think he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And if he's not convicted on a quarterback, if he doesn't have a then wait a year or pick later in the draft. But they are killing the Giants. Look, he's, he's got enough. Doing. They had, they, this is a guy who's been to two Super Bowls. Come on. Uh, all you need to do is understand when you look at Gettleman's resume, he has been a part of a front office that has been to so many Super Bowls he could wallpaper his office with the amount of success he's had in his career. That's all you need to say. And, Carl, appreciate the phone Have call. Have a good day. Thanks so much for weighing in. The one thing, though, I will throw out relevant to what the caller brought up, it's not – crazy to say the higher you pick a quarterback the more success you have so you know anybody who says you shouldn't wait for the third or fourth round to take a quarterback that's a very fair point okay that's true you can have a higher success by picking him higher but it's also proven that there is a very high bust rate even at its best case scenario there is a high bust rate on quarterbacks well because of also the importance of the position and if the position doesn't pan out, Paul, yeah, it could set you back. Okay. That's a selection you could have used on a running back or a defensive tackle. Which is why else. the only time a GM should take one in the first round is if he's all in on him. Conviction. Because this That's way, he can look himself in the mirror and say, you know what? If the guy busted, at least he can look himself in the mirror and say, I was sure he was going to be great. Absolutely. I have to live with it because everything I had said he was a lock like Ryan Leaf. And it didn't work out. You have to be able to swallow that because the failure rate for first-round QBs is so high. But if you go in with any doubt and you pick that guy and he flames out, shame on you. Of course. Because you forced it. Yeah, 100%. For example, Jamarcus Russell. And I'm not going to revisit what the quotes were around the time that he was drafted. But if Oakland, they were just saying to themselves, you know what, we need a quarterback. He's the most highly rated quarterback. Let's just take him. Right. And everybody in the room was sort of on the fence. Yes, that would be the perfect example, Paul, to what you're talking about. But if you go around the room and everybody loves Dwayne Haskins and they're saying, hey, hand in the card, take him at six, then you know what? I don't blame that philosophy. Well, the Browns forced Tim Couch. The Browns forced Johnny Manziel. Right? You well, know, he wasn't as high, but he was still a first ownership rounder. was very high on Manziel. Okay. His flavor, his flair. I think there were a lot of factors that were brought to the forefront there. That had nothing to do with X's and O's. So your point is well taken there. The Jets forced uh, Mark Sanchez. They were desperate for a quarterback. They took Mark Sanchez. I know he had some yeah, measure of think, success because of their system. Bus, though. Because of their system, the ground and pound, they were able to use him as a game manager and win some games. And they made but, two but, AFC championships. But games. do you honestly believe his 
independent value was worthy of where that pick was? Well, no. over the course they of the career. It. Well, listen, if I went back to that draft and you looked at how all those other guys panned out, yeah, I would agree with you. I think they would have gotten better value. The Giants but forced Dave Brown many results, years ago. I don't think it was crazy. Okay, they forced Dave Brown many years ago. They used the first round supplemental on it. They were worried. Phil Sims is getting older. They forced Dave Brown. He was a bust. Good guy. I got along with him great. Terrific guy. He was a bust. They forced it. They paid for it. You force it. You pay for it. You made your bed. You live in it. That's why you don't take a quarterback for the sake of taking a quarterback, regardless of the need. You take a quarterback because you believe that guy has the potential to be a franchise quarterback. And that's what the Giants need to ask themselves if they're in a position at six, assuming they don't move, and there's still quality quarterbacks on the board. Let's head back to the phone lines. Drew is in Virginia. Drew, welcome to the Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's on your mind? Hey, Lance. Hey, Paul. Hi. Excuse me. Hey, Lance. Hey, Paul. How you doing, man? Good night, Drew. Time no speak. Yes, sir. Um, Dean, what do you got for us? I got a quick, quick one. Um, yeah. Um, so, um, uh, talking about quarterbacks, and it's interesting that you guys was just just having that conversation. Um, and it's I'm not I'm not ready to dump on dump Eli yet. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk, and I know it's all been hashed over a million times. Uh, but we are going to need a quarterback. There's no doubt about that. We all know that. With that said, um, I don't know. For me, I'm kind of worried about this Dwayne Haskins. I don't think the Giants is going to pick him. I don't know. I'm not one high on him. But basically, um, what is your thoughts on Dwayne Haskins? And actually, and what is your overall thought? Anyway, for a quarterback replacement, um, I'm sure you might have talked about this before, but I haven't listened to every show. So mainly, um, my my thing is, um, for me, I'm not sure Dwayne Haskins is necessarily a fit for the Giants. I know he had a phenomenal 2018 season, but I've always been of the of the opinion, and still am now, that one year does not make a career. Well, and I think that's one of the biggest question marks Mm -hmm. that you hit it right on the nose. You know, teams would love to see a guy be a starter in college for at least two years. Sometimes you have the luxury of three. And then you say, hey, you know what? I saw what he could do. And that was the case for most of the quarterbacks, if you recall, Drew, from last year's class. They had multiple years as starting caliber quarterbacks. This year's class, Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins are one-year starters. So a lot of it is based on a small sample size and saying, hey, I saw enough. They're a good fit for our system, and we believe we can make things happen. Now, I think it's a little bit different if you have a quarterback that's only started for one year and your goal is you're not going to do baptism by fire, meaning you're going to do what the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes. You sit him for a year. I don't know if the concern then is as overwhelming as when you're drafting the guy, and you expect him to be the starter day one. Maybe the philosophy is a little I, bit different there. So that is something I, also. I agree with that, Lance. I think no, no, Lance, what I'm saying, I don't mean to cut you off, sir. But yeah. I definitely agree with that. And personally, I think that any quarterback that the Giants draft um, may wind up sitting behind Eli. Um, but, you know, my other concern there, um, uh, besides Dwayne Haskins, um, is when do we get a quarterback and how long are we going? Like, here's a quick question for you, Lance. How long do we have, Eli? Is this his last year? I think it's possible he could get two more years. I don't think that's crazy. I mean, I know that okay. he's under contract for one, but 
who knows? I mean, is it is it possible that after this season, perhaps they give him a new deal, like a one-year deal, a team option, player option? I don't think that's crazy. I think a lot depends on how he performs this year, how he holds up from a durability standpoint. You know, without knowing those factors, it, it's difficult to give you a well-informed answer, well, but no, I don't I'm, think it's crazy. Yeah, I, I don't man. think it's crazy, Drew, to say it's possible two more years of Eli. I don't think that's crazy. Well, Right, that's what I was asking. Okay, so but but the contract is just for one year for now, right? Yes. He's got one year remaining, correct. Yes. Right. So, okay, so we would pr- presumably um, be in the market for a quarterback, so then that would be this year. And then next year, let's say if we let Eli walk, then we're pretty much ha- – yeah, going to have to go well, put a, but you know what, Drew? In there under fire. Drew, I, I get your timeline, but I would say this: I don't know if a team ever is put with its back against the wall that they need a quarterback. The reason I'll bring that up is let's go to the Chiefs, okay? Now I don't know how you felt about Alex Smith, but the way the Chiefs were playing, the last thing that I was thinking was that Kansas City was aggressively going to move up to ten to go after Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I would have said. Right, based on need, based on performance, you could say Kansas City could use a little bit more depth on the defensive line if there was great value. So the reason right. I'm bringing that up, Drew, and I get it, Eli Manning different than Alex Smith, age, I get that. But you never know when you want to make the move to develop a quarterback. New England has taken quarterbacks when Brady's been in his prime and then have traded them. So I don't see the Giants as the level of urgency is 10 times greater for them than any other team when we've seen teams that have a great starting quarterback and they say, you know what, let's develop a young guy. Cool. I got it. So then my last question is, and I'm, I'm going to hang up, but, but again, my last question goes back to Dwayne Haskin. Do you think he's a good fit for this team? And I'll take that answer off the You got it, Drew. Guys. And appreciate the phone call. And a great conversation and some great questioning. I think it's always good to have some good back and forth dialogue on that front, especially when it comes to the quarterback position. Yeah, the biggest concern for me with Dwayne Haskins is the sample size. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, a big it's deal. hard to get overly excited over a guy after just one great season. And it was a hell of a season. And it's not as if he was in a middle-of-the-pack unknown conference. The Big Ten's got caliber, high-caliber defensive players. He deserves a lot of credit. As far as being a good fit, I'm not concerned about a fit with Haskins. You know, I I think Pat Shermer, Mike Shula, they've worked with enough quarterbacks that if they feel he's got the tools, he would be fine in this system. That doesn't concern me. It's more about have you seen enough with one year that you believe – that is what he's going to do moving forward, or was that a flash? So for example, I was high on Baker Mayfield last year. But the reason why I like Baker Mayfield, Paul, was because I saw multiple years of Baker Mayfield. Yes. You could say the same thing with Sam Darnold, if you were high on Darnold. So that made me a little bit more confident. Patrick Mahomes, same thing. Mm-hmm. A nice size amount of games where you've seen him go up against a variety of different defenses, and you've seen him produce. That makes me feel comfortable, a little bit more so than somebody with one year. And for those of you who think, well, you know, I'm just harping on Haskins, I would say the same concern with Kyler Murray to a certain degree. Just one year. Well, you know, you subscribe to the Parcells rules. And I understand that. You know, the Parcells rules, which said the guy had to have 30-plus wins in college, he had to be a starter for three years, had to be a captain or a co-captain, had to graduate – there's a whole bunch of it's rules too that Parcells has. The problem is most guys are coming out so early now yeah. that it's hard to apply all of those rules because there aren't that many who now fit all of those qualifications. Simply put, 
And everybody, look, I've been talking about this for months. I would not take Haskins at 6 or at 17. I would not. I'll make it real simple, though. For everybody who's been you know, torching me on Twitter about this whole thing, I might consider Haskins if he put up another year like he did this year. If he had two years of evidence well, I think of this feel kind of play, I'd feel a lot better about maybe taking Haskins in the top five. But guess what? That's not reality. All you got is that one year right now. And that is certainly one of the reasons why I would not take him. And I don't have anything else to add. Well, and I'm on the same page with you in terms of my rationale. But also, I want to bring in just two other quick examples before we wrap up shop. The 2004 quarterback class, Paul, with what it produced, Eli, Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger. No coincidence, we're talking about multi-year starters in college, right? Yeah. Okay? And then when you look at the Marino year, the Elway year, we're also talking about guys with some substance on the resume. It's no coincidence that the years that have produced a good quality group of quarterbacks, what's the common trait, Paul? I know. It's not just one-year flash. So it's not hate towards a specific player. It's the NFL track record. You can't go against the NFL track record if it is yielded very positive results. Before we wrap up, I know we're a little bit late. Do you want to get in your request, player, or we'll save that Next for time. another day? Let's save that for another day, but continue to send in your requests of any players you want us to address on future shows. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. Appreciate all the phone calls on today's program. We're back up and running on Monday with the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We're going to cover Michigan and Houston on Monday's program as we continue to move along and get you set for the 2019 NFL Draft. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy your weekend. And always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.